Chapter number 24 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arthur Piantidosi. Chapter 24. Treats on a very poor subject, but it is a short one and may be found of importance in this story. It was no unfit messenger of death who had disturbed the quiet of the matron's room. Her body was bent by age, her lips trembled with palsy, her face, distorted into a mumbling leer, resembled more the grotesque shaping of some wild pencil than the work of nature's hand. Alas, how few of nature's faces are left alone to gladden us with their beauty. The cares and sorrows and hungerings of the world change them as they change hearts, and it is only when those passions sleep and have lost their hold forever that their troubled clouds pass off and leave heaven's surface clear. It is a common thing for the countenances of the dead, even in that fixed and rigid state, to subside into the long forgotten expression of sleeping infancy, and settle into the very look of early life, so calm, so peaceful do they grow again, that those who knew them in their happy childhood kneel by the coffin side in awe, and see the angel ever even upon earth. The old crone faltered among the passages and up the stairs, muttering some indistinct answers to the chidings of her companion. Being length impelled to pause for breath, she gave the light to her hand, and reined behind to follow as she might, while a more nimble superior made her way to the room where the sick woman lay. It was a bare garret room, with the dim light burning at the farther end. There was another old woman watching by the bed. The parish apothecary's apprentice was standing by the fire, making a toothpick out of a quill. Cold night, Miss Corney said this young gentleman as the matron entered. Very cold indeed, sir, replied the mistress in the most civil tones and dropped a curtsy as he spoke. You shall get better coals at your contractors, said the apothecary's deputy, breaking a lump on top of the fire with a rusty poker. <laughs> He's an always sort of thing for a cold night. And a bold choosing, sir, returned the matron. The least they could do would be to keep us pretty warm, for our places are hard enough. The conversation was here interrupted by a moan from the sick woman. Oh, oh said the young Mark, turning his face toward the bed as if he had previously quite forgotten the patient. It's all up there, Miss Corney. Is it, is it, sir? asked the matron. If she lasts a couple of hours, I shall be surprised, said the apothecary's apprentice, intent upon the toothpick's point. It's a break off of the system altogether. Is she dozing, old lady? Intendant stooped over the bed to ascertain, and nodding in the affirmative. Then perhaps you'll go off on that way if you don't make a row, said the young man. Put the line on the floor, which you won't see her there. The attendant did as she was told, shaking her head meanwhile, intimated that the woman should not die so easily. 
Having done so, she redoomed a seat by the side of the other nurse, who had by this time returned. The mistress, with an expression of impatience, wrapped herself in her shawl and sat at the foot of the bed. The apothecary's apprentice, having completed the manufacture of the toothpick, planted himself in front of the fire and made good use of it for ten minutes or so, when apparently going rather dull, he wished Miss Corley joy of a job, and took himself off on tiptoe. When they had sat in silence for some time, the two old women rose from the bed, and crouching over the fire, held out their withered hands to catch the heat. A flame threw a ghastly light on their shriveled faces, and made their ugliness appear terrible, as in this position they began to converse in a low voice. "'Did you say any more, Danny dear, while I was gone?' inquired the messenger. "'Not a word,' replied the other. She blacked and tore at her arms for a little time, but I held her hands, and she soon dropped off. She hasn't much strength in her, so I easily kept her quiet. I ain't so weak for an old woman, though I'm on parish allowance. No, no! Did she drink the hot wine the doctor says she was to have? demanded the first. I tried to get it down, joined the other. What a teat would tight set, and she changed the mug so hard that it was as much as I could do to get it back again. So I drank it. It did me good. Looking cautiously around to ascertain they were not overheard, the two hags cowered near the to the fire and chuckled heartily. <laughs> I mind the time, said the first speaker. When she would have done the same, and made rare fun of it afterwards. Ay, that you would, joined the other. She had a merry heart. Many, many beautiful corpses she laid out, as nice and neat and waxwork. My old eyes have seen them. Ay, and those old hands touched them too, for I have helped her scores of times. Stretching forth the trembling fingers as she spoke, the old creature shook them exultingly before her face, and fumbling in her pocket, brought out an old-time discoloured tin snuff-box, on which she took a few grains into the outstretched palm of her companion, and a few more into her own. While they were thus employed, the matron, who had been impatiently watching until the dying woman should awaken from her stupor, joined them by the fire, and sharply asked how long she was to wait. "'Not long, mistress,' replied the second woman, looking up into her face. "'We have none of us too long to wait for death. Patience, patience, you'll be here soon enough for us all.' Oh, your tongue, you doting idiot, said the nurse sternly. You, Martha, tell me, has she been this way as before? Often, answered the first woman. But we'll never be again, added the second one. That is, she'll never wake again but once. And mind, mistress, it will be as long. Long or short? said the natron snappishly. She won't find me here when she does wake. Take care, uh, both of you, while you worry me again for nothing. It's no part of my duty to see all the old women in the house die. And I won't, that's more. Mind you, impudent old heredons, 
You make a fool of me again. I'll soon kill you. I warrant you. She was bouncing away when a cry from the two women, who had turned toward the bed, caused her to look round. The patient has raised herself upright and was stretching her arms toward them. Who's this? she cried in a hollow voice. Hush, hush, said one of the women, stooping over. Lie down, lie down. I'll never die down alive, said this woman, struggling. I will tell her. Come here. Near, let me whisper in your ear. She clutched the matron by the arm, and forcing her into a chair by the bedside, was about to speak. When looking round, she caught sight of the two old women bending forward in the attitude of eager listeners. Turn them away, said the woman drowsily. Make haste, make haste. The two old crones, chiming in together, began pouring out many piteous lamentations that the poor dear was too far gone to know her best friends, and were uttering sundry protestations that they would never leave her when the superior pushed them from the room, closed the door, and returned to the bedside. On being excluded, the two old ladies changed their tone and cried through the keyhole that old Sally was drunk which indeed was not unlikely, since in addition to a moderate dose of opium, besides by the apothecary, she was labouring under the effects of a final taste of gin and water, which had been privately administered in the openness of their hearts by the worthy old ladies themselves. Oh, listen to me, said the dying woman aloud, as if making a great effort to revive one latent spark of energy. In this very room, in this very bed, I once nursed a pretty young creature. I was brought into the house with her feet cut and bruised with walking, and all soiled with dust and blood. She gave birth to a boy and died. Let me think, what was the year again? Never mind the year, said the impatient auditor. What about her? Ah, murmured the sick woman, lapsing into a formerly drowsy state. What about her? What about? I know, she cried, going fiercely up, her face flushed and her eyes starting from the head. I robbed her, so I did. She wasn't cold. I tell you, if it wasn't cold, but I stole it. Stole what, for God's sake? cried the matron, with a gesture as if she would call for help. Yet, replied the woman, wringing her hand over the other's mouth. The only thing she had. She wanted clothes to keep her warm, and food to eat. But you'd kept it safe, and had it in her bosom. It was gold, I tell you, rich gold that might have saved her life. Gold, echoed the matron, bending eagerly over the woman as she fell back. Go, go on, go on, yes, what of it? Who is the mother? When was it? 
She charged me to keep it safe, replied the woman with a groan, and trusted me as the only woman about her. I slowly it in my heart when she first showed it to me, hanging round her neck, and the child's death perhaps is on me besides. They would have treated him better if they had known it all. They'd known what? says the other. Speak! The boy grew so like his mother said the woman, brambling on and not heeding the question, that I could never forget it when I saw his face. Poor girl, poor girl. She was so young, too. Such a gentle lamb. Wait, there's more to tell. I have not told you all, have I? No, no replied the matron, inclining her head to catch the words as they came more faintly from the dying one. Be quick, or it may be too late. The mother, said the woman, making a more violent effort than before. The mother, when the pains of death first came upon her, whispered in my ear that if a babe was born alive and thrived, a day might come when he would not feel so much disgrace to hear its poor mother and young other named. And oh, kind heaven, she said, folding her hands together, whether it be boy or girl, raise up some friends for it in this troubled world, and take pity upon a lonely, desolate child abandoned to its mercy. The boy's name demanded the matron. They called him Oliver, replied the woman feebly. The gold I stole was. Yes, yes, what? cried the other. She was bending eagerly over the woman to hear a reply, but drew back instinctively as she once again rose slowly and stiffly into a sitting position. Then, clutching the cover lid with the both hands, muttered some indistinct sounds in her throat, and fell lifeless on the bed. Stone dead, said one of the old women, hurrying in as soon as the door was opened. And nothing to tell after all, joined the matron, walking carelessly away. The two crones, to all appearance, was too busily occupied in the preparations for their dreadful duties to make any reply, but left alone, hovering about the body. End of chapter 24